Hello Life Changes Church, thank you so much for joining us today. We've got an amazing word for you, so get your pens and your notebooks ready because God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy. Today, I want to I talk to you about work. Work. Hey, and I have some of you going, oh, work. Hey, I want the weekend, man. I don't want to hear about work. Um, but I, I, I believe that we need to understand the theology of work. That actually God has gifted us with something. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how that impacted my story, but we're going to we'll run through it as we go. I'm going to start with a scripture this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, my fellow pastor over there earlier, Mpele Tao, asked me what, which scriptures, because he said he's going to be paging. So I want to see you paging, buddy. Come on, Ecclesiastes, get there quickly. 3.22. <clears throat> so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Really? I know some of you are going, you've got to be kidding. Surely the Bible does not say that. It does. Book of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a strange book. There's almost like a, there's like a pessimist and an optimist talking in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the op- optimistic side. And then it says, because that is their lot. And th- that is the reality. Because in life, we have to work a lot. Yeah? So best we enjoy our work. And I believe that the only way we can really enjoy our work is to understand where we play a part and how God impacts our work. The last time I actually preached on work was one of those, it was like a January 2018, you know, like encourage the people for the new year. Uh, And January 2018, I have to admit, feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah? I mean, it was just the other day, but uh, obviously in between then and now, we had something called a pandemic. Most of us hadn't even heard of a pandemic prior to that. Uh, And the reality is that the pandemic had a huge impact on people's work. Um, Many people that we know lost their jobs. There were industries that were literally decimated during the pandemic. Some of them are coming back, uh, hospitality, events, uh, entertainment, all these things, although they're coming back at a cost. Uh, If any of you have ever seen uh, the price of uh, things like concert tickets these days, it is astronomical. But, the, but it, the, the pandemic had this huge impact on our world of work. And it, in fact, it changed the way many of us actually work. Uh, I'm one of them. I now have a hybrid job. We call it hybrid. Yeah, fancy words. Um, but what that means is that I work from home, I work from the office, or I work from a client. But a lot of time, I'm actually sitting at my laptop at home. Uh, I know of many companies that actually closed their offices during the pandemic and they haven't reopened them. Yeah, number one, because of cost. And number two, because they realized actually their people are doing more work from home than they do in the office. So let them go from home. Other things arose during the pandemic. Who here has heard of quiet quitting? Quiet quitting. No one, none of us heard of that before. That is now a thing. And if you don't know what quiet quitting is, Essentially, what it is, is people do the bare minimum in their job, just enough to get by. Yeah? And often what they do is they all have more than one job. And I don't talk, I'm not talking about a side hustle. I'm not talking about something you do on the weekend. I mean, literally more than one paying job where they will do as little as possible to just scrape on by. 
quiet quitting. Who would have thought? So the reality is, guys, we spend an awful lot of time working. Where's my working slide? There we go. Look at that. So most of our time is spent sleeping, uh, some more than others, if if we're honest. But a massive portion of our time is spent working. What I do find amusing, though, is if you skirt on over to the left here, they call it grooming. Uh, There's a gentleman sitting on the toilet there. Um, Two and a half years we spend grooming. Uh, I had the privilege of traveling with Mark Rossi. Mark Rossi does a lot of grooming. We found, he knows where all the grooming spots are. Uh, Sorry, buddy, I don't know. I I should, that just came to me right now. I don't know why. And it's also where dads go to find some peace and quiet. Uh, it's in the grooming room. Uh, so, but the reality is, a lot of our time is spent working. And if we don't have God's view of work, that is literally going to be hell on earth. If we don't get the theology of work, work is going to be a huge pain. I um, have the privilege of working in the IT consulting world. I work for a large multinational firm, and we even have people that consult on the world of work. So they will go into companies and help them understand how the world of work is changing. The pandemic had a massive impact, but now there are other things that have come along that are impacting our work. Yeah, so automation is impacting work. People are now starting to lose their jobs because we're starting to automate using software and using artificial intelligence and all these interesting things. The reality is the world of work has always been changing. What's different now is just the sheer rate of the change. Human beings are not that great at things changing very, very quickly. Uh, There are jobs now that are available that were not available 12 months ago. Where's my next one? There we go. Who's heard of prompt engineering? No. It's like, a, it's like a blank. It's a no. This is now a job. Yeah? So this is in the world of artificial intelligence. You have people who know how to prompt the artificial intelligence in order to get the right content out of what we would call a large language model. If you want to know about that stuff, we can come talk afterwards. Except some lawyers I heard don't know how to do prompt engineering and they get the wrong stuff out uh, and that can be dangerous. But these are, so we now have jobs that exist today that didn't exist 12 months ago, and so this, this kind of wheel will just keep on turning. All these things are impacting the world of work. And in South Africa, we have additional challenges. So my next slide is we're right up at the top there, which is not a great place to be on this slide. So usually between us and Nigeria, we have this competition to see who is going to have the highest unemployment rate in the world. Where we do top Nigeria is we have the highest youth unemployment rate anywhere. That is a challenge. And if we look at this thing through a worldly view, that is going to scare the living daylights out of us. And we're going to go, oh my goodness, uh, I'm going to go to Qatar rather, 0.1% unemployment. But that's also a bit of a lie if you've been to Qatar. There you go, that's a different topic. But if we don't have the right view on work and employment and all these things, those kind of statistics will scare us. We as Christians are not immune to all of these things. 
The challenge for us, however, as with everything in life, is what is our view on these things? Do we have a biblical gospel view of life? Because the reality is, next slide, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. We either give everything to him, including our work, or we give him nothing. We tend to, when we, when we come to Jesus, when we give our lives to him, we're so aware of our failings. We, we know about our sin and our, and, our, and our addictions and all the things that are dragging us down. But what we tend to do is we tend to compartmentalize. Say, Lord, I'm going to give you this, but uh, I'm not going to give you this. I mean, Jesus, you were a carpenter. What do you know about IT consulting? You had your own business. You didn't have to work for a nasty boss like I do. You wouldn't know about these things. And so we compartmentalize and we keep some things for ourselves, some things we give to Jesus. But that, my friends, is where we go wrong. Because actually, Jesus wants to be Lord of all. So, how do we then go from being partly devoted to fully devoted? I'm going to have a scripture come up. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Three key points there, yeah? Because the reality is, guys, that we are going to have to endure. And the only way we can really endure so that there is joy in our enduring is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, yeah? So we need to run with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus so that joy may await us. I believe that when we get to heaven one day, Jesus will ask us, yeah? How did you manage the gifts and abilities I gave you in your work? Work is such a huge part of our lives, it cannot be insignificant in the gospel. Having a revelation of God's original design for work had a massive impact on my life. If I take the last 20 years, let's call it 20 years, odd. Because remember, I'm only 30-odd, uh, Mike. Yeah, I started very young. <clears throat> I take the, if I look at the first half of those 20 years, they were characterized by failure. It was me hopping from one job to the next, either looking for a bigger paycheck yeah, or getting miffed with my boss because he overlooked me for something and saying, well, you know what, stuff you. I'm going somewhere else. And so it went. And that was what the first half of the last 20 years looked like for me. The second half looked very different. Because the second half, I found Jesus. I got a revelation of the gospel in work. And what does that do? It gives you a few things. Number one, it gives you consistency. Because God calls us to be consistent. If we're going to endure, we need to be consistent. And we need to stay the course. Uh, I, was, uh, I worked for a company for almost 10 years. Everyone was bailing. 
We were a small company, it was bought out by a bigger one, and eventually everyone in the small company just bailed. They'd had enough. But I felt God tell me to just stay the course, yeah? To, to kind of, let's do this thing. The old me would have been gone ages ago, yeah? And what did I do? I found favor with God and favor with man when we stay the course. Now, I know that sometimes we need to move on. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be batten down the hatches. Sometimes we need to move on. But sometimes you're called to endure. And sometimes that looks like terrible bosses, yeah? conniving colleagues, horrendous corporate politics. It looks like all of these things. It looks like sometimes you're going to be overlooked for promotion when you feel like, hey, I was the best candidate. But actually God calls us to stay the course and to endure. Wow. So let's look then at a few biblical principles about work. The first one, work is a gift. Now, there's a lot of yards in the front row. But I know that sometimes work does not feel like a gift. Yeah? And in fact, sometimes it feels like the exact opposite. It feels like a curse. But this is the truth. If we look at God's original design, we look at Genesis 1 and 2, God gifted man work before he fell. Before we sinned, God said to man, he said to Adam, here's this beautiful garden. I'm giving it to you to tend to, to look after. I, as God is the original creator, we are the sub-creators. He creates something out of nothing. He gives it to us and he says, create, do more with this thing. So right there in the midst of paradise, we see God's intentions for us and work. I would then argue, other than God first giving us a life, that the first gift he gave us was work. If we read through the Bible, we see that he's given us many gifts, but the first was work. It's actually in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Work is not evil, nor is it a side effect of sin. The reality is, though, we did sin, and we fell. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes what that means is that the fall does bring toil and futility at times. And that's what we are called to endure. So it's pain and passion in the same place. But the reality is, work is good and has intrinsic value. My second point this morning is this. What you do matters to God. So often, and, I, and I, at the risk of, I'm really not wanting to sound derogatory, but very often, we are told that the church, uh, that the workplace is a place to evangelize and to earn a living. And potentially you will take some of that living and give to the kingdom. Those things are true. They are good things. But I'm going to tell you this right now. When God gives work to us, 
The reason he gives it to us is because he knows it's a gift and it is good. And therefore, what you do matters to him. No matter what it is that you do, it matters to him. Yes, we'll get to evangelize. Yes, we'll get to give to the kingdom. All those amazing things. But the work that you do matters. In, uh, in, Gen- in Genesis 2.5, says this. When the Lord God made the earth and heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. So here's the thing. When I look at that, I go, actually two things have to take place. God needs to send water, yeah, refreshing water, and then we need to cultivate the soil. Now, the cultivating of the soil just looks different now. Yeah? So we have geophysicists and guys with kitchen businesses and ministers and lawyers and preschool teachers and real estate agents. It looks different. But actually, we're still cultivating the soil. Yeah? But if we cultivate the soil without the water from heaven, it's a fight for futility. Yeah? And very soon... Work will become a chore. It'll become a pain. It'll become something we dread, we, we, we absolutely hate. We need the living water from heaven before we cultivate the soil. Ephesians 2.10 says, well, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Those good things include work. It includes everything that we do at work so that we may glorify God. That scripture in Ephesians 2.10 talks about us coming alive in Jesus. He wants you alive in Him in your workplace. Not dreading Monday morning and not living just for Friday and holidays. People often ask, how do I know if I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And I have a couple of teenagers at home, and we often talk about what does the future look like? Especially with my son, he's almost 18. We talk about work. What does this thing look like? How how is he going to know if he's going to be going in the right direction? I want to give you three pointers this morning. The first is affinity. Is it something that you're drawn to? The, third, the second is ability, and the third is opportunity. Now, if we just all went with affinity, the world would be a mess, an absolute disaster. If we all just followed our hearts, yeah, this fickle thing called your heart, because well, I mean, none of us want to do the real hard stuff. Yeah? We'd all want to be artists and musicians and actors. I mean, the world would be a disaster. So it can't just be I'm going to follow my passion. Yeah? Do your passion on the weekend. Affinity needs to line up with ability. Yeah? You've been given, God-given ability. Sometimes, though, ability can be learned. You can teach yourself some stuff. And thirdly, there's got to be opportunity. Because if there's no opportunity... It's going to be very difficult to make something of that work. Yeah? And so, I mean, 
I, I laughed the other day. I watched this, uh, this talk of this very, very interesting guy. He's talking about, you know, often, especially at universities and things, they'll invite extremely wealthy, successful people onto the stage to come speak to everybody. And they will tell everybody, follow your passion. But yet he made his billions in iron ore smelting. Don't think that was his passion. Yeah? He had ability, and he spotted a gap, opportunity. And he went for it. Affinity, ability, and opportunity. Then you're kind of heading in the right direction. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Or whatever you do, which includes your work, do it for His glory. Point number three. God has gifted us with skills and abilities. The question this morning is, are we making the most of what he's gifted us with? So I realized that when I met Jesus, I realized I'm squandering my gifts and abilities. Yeah, hopping from one thing to the next, I was squandering. Yeah, I wasn't plowing in. I wasn't plowing deep. I wasn't enduring so that I couldn't, test and make the most of the ability that he's given me. I want to read you a famous scripture. Romans 12, 6, 8. It should come up on the screen. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is to serve others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Here's my challenge to us this morning. We so often use the scripture. I have a feeling most of you know the scripture and have seen it before. We tend to use it in the context of church only. It cannot just be for church, friends. It has to be for your life. Yeah? So what I'm not saying is don't go all weird tomorrow morning and start prophesying and coffee at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning in the office. People might find it. But what it says is if you have the gift of prophecy, speak out with as much faith as you can give. We should be speaking with faith in the workplace. Yeah? I mean, all of these things. Serve them well. We should be teaching. Yeah, we should be serving others. We should be encouraging, give generously. Teaching others means it's not about me, it's about them. I need to raise them up. Yeah? It's on the wall, raise up, not just for here, but for there too. For the workplace, we need to raise people up. And he's given us those gifts and abilities. Some of you have leadership ability on your life. It took me a long time to recognize that there was some leadership ability. Yeah? I realized I'd squandered it, but it's never too late. We serve a gracious and merciful God, and we can get back on track. Lastly, showing kindness. So often in the workplace, it's the last thing we do because there's pressure, and it's tense, and all these things. We need to show kindness to everybody, not just to the big guy who might give me a better paycheck next year. To everybody, show kindness in the workplace. 
So I want to ask you this morning. How do we glorify God in the workplace? The answer is simple. We use the gifts and abilities that he has given us, not just for the church, but for the workplace as well. Because by doing that, we will give him glory. I realized that God had given me the ability to speak. In fact, I'm more comfortable standing here than necessarily standing there making one-on-one conversation. It's just how it is sometimes. And so I realized I needed to find a job where I can speak. And God has gifted me with that kind of position. I now speak at many events, yeah, and I absolutely love it. We need to make use of the gifts and ability he has given us. I use my wife as an example. She's tried a few things. And hated them, to be honest. But God gave her a gift. You can see there, the gift is, little kids love her. I have no idea why, but they love her. Yeah? Absolutely love her. She just has this gift with kids. Yeah? And so what now? She's now a, she's at the preschool, working as a teaching assistant, and loving it. It's hard. Those little critters will wear you out and make you very sick. But we need to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us. Almost done. Point number four. There is dignity in all work. If God has gifted us with work, and what we do matters to Him, and we use our gifts and abilities to glorify Him, then what we do has dignity. I'm excluding unlawful activity in this discussion. Unfortunately, in the world, the world tends to elevate people who are good at making money. And we tend to elevate them above everybody else and give them the right to speak for everybody else. I've met some very wealthy people who my friends, I can quite clearly say, lack wisdom. They can make money, but they lack wisdom. That cannot be our pinnacle in life, that I'm just going to go and make money because then I'm king of the world. We need to recognize this and make sure that what we're doing, we do well and that we glorify God. We need to make sure we treat everybody with dignity, no matter what their position I want to read you this very cool quote from Tim Keller. It's quite long. It'll come up on the screen behind me. Yes, there it is. We were built for work and dignity. It gives us as human beings, regardless of its status or pay. The practical implications of this principle are far-reaching. We have the freedom to seek work that suits our gifts and passions, gifts and passions. We can be open to greater opportunities for work when the economy is weak and jobs are less plentiful. That's speaking to us right now. One of the things I tell my son is, do anything. When you're starting out, give everything a go. Yeah? Sometimes you'll work for nothing yeah? to prove your character. We no longer have any basis for condes- condes- condescension, thank you, Michael, or superiority. When I was practicing this, I was like, oh, I'm going to mess that word up, and I did. Nor is there any basis for envy or feelings of infidelity. 
And every Christian should be able to identify with conviction and satisfaction the ways in which his or her work participates with God in his creativity and cultivation. There is dignity in all work, whether you are the cleaner or whether you're the main man. Lastly, this morning, and the band may come up on stage. Your identity is in Jesus. Romans 8, 15 to 16 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. If you do not have this buried deep, work will sink you. If you make work your identity, it'll sink you whether you fail or whether you're successful. If we fail, the world is over. Yeah? We are useless and no good for anything. If we're successful, we become the main man, the most important person in the room, if that is our identity. If you make the quality of your work the measure of your worth, you're in trouble. Your identity cannot be rooted in your own performance, but rather it is rooted in the performance of Jesus. He did it all. Lastly, I want to tell you this. Christianity gives you a received identity, not an achieved identity. A received identity. Only when we realize this will we not be destroyed by our work, whether we're successful or whether we fail. God is always calling us to do our best, to give it all. But it cannot be our identity. We have received identity from Jesus. We do not receive, we do not achieve identity in our work. It is a gift this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray a bit. Um, you can put that last quote up there's this uh, lady who wrote this um, incredible essay way back in 1942 called Dorothy Sayers she wrote a whole essay about work I'll leave it up there you guys can read it but we work one because God has gifted us with a gift of work two so we can glorify him with our gifts and abilities now I know this morning that there are some of you here this morning that are without work. I know some of you lost positions and were treated unfairly. This morning I'm going to ask you to put your faith in Him the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. I remember a while ago, there was a gentleman in the church, he had been in the building industry for a long time, lost his job, and we'd been praying and talking, and uh, we chatted about, well, how about maybe pivoting? You, you can do project management, IT needs lots of project managers, and today he's an IT project manager. 
Sometimes we need that download from God. What do I need to do, Lord? Do I need to stay this course? Do I need to change? Do I need to pivot? What is it? Because things are a little dire in the employment space. But we have to trust God and His economy. This morning, if you're here this morning and you are desperate for a job, we want to pray with you this morning. Some of you go through the week, can't wait till Friday. Hate your job. Hate it. This morning, I want to encourage you to spend time with God and ask Him, Lord, what is the way forward? Do I need to endure or do I need to change? I can't answer that for you. Only He can. For those who just live for Friday, I pray you get a revelation of your work and that you start to live for Monday. I pray for our entrepreneurs and our business owners. We need favor in your businesses because we need to bring that unemployment number down. We need God to break out in this country in the space of unemployment. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, you know what, I've retired. I'm an old valley now. And so I tuned out long ago. I want to encourage you this morning. I I don't see retirement in the Bible. I believe that sometimes we retire from an official work, but God still has more in store for us. What is I want to ask you that question this morning. What is it that God has in store for you, for your future? You have gifts and abilities. They can't go to waste. Lastly, if you've been retrenched, I want to give you courage this morning. I've been retrenched three times in my life. I do not fear retrenchment because I serve a God who doesn't care about retrenchment. So if you're here this morning, you've been retrenched, you've lost your job, you're desperate to find work this morning, I'd even ask you this morning to come up front. We want to pray, stand in the gap this morning, and trust God for your future. Is that good? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for the gift of work. Lord, we know that sometimes it does not feel like a gift. But actually, Lord God, when we see you in our work, when we realize that you have gifted this incredible thing to us, our perspective changes. It changes completely. That it was the very first thing you gave to man was work. I pray, Lord God, that people would have a revelation of you and what they do. And realize that what they do matters to you. And then, Lord God, that they would do that with everything. With the best quality and ethics and all these things. Why? Because we serve you. And we want to glorify you, Lord God, with everything that we have. This morning, Lord God, for people who are struggling to find work, Lord God, this morning, I pray for breakthrough. I pray, Lord God, for breakthrough. We are trusting you this morning, Lord God. Your word says trust. We trust in you for provision. This morning, Lord God, we trust for provision of work. Not just for a paycheck, Lord God, but for the dignity of work, for the gift that you have given us. I pray for breakthrough this morning, Lord God, for every person here this morning who does not have work and is struggling, Lord God. 
We do not believe in the economy of this world. We believe in your economy, Lord. We worship you this morning, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, we hope you were encouraged and inspired by that word today. If you would like to know more about what's happening in the life of the church, please check out our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel or check out our website, lifechanges.org.za. Enjoy your day.